Well, thanks so much for having me this morning. I want to first begin by telling you about one of the, my favorite jobs I ever had. Uh, it was when I was around 16 or 17, so kind of high school time. I was thinking about a summer job. And one of my big goals was I really wanted to work outside. I just love being outdoors. I wanted to work outside. And I found out about this job to work for a landscaping company as a lawnmower. I, all I knew was I was going to be outside, so I was in for it. I, was, I thought that that was great. And uh, I got to work for this amazing guy. His name was Bob. He was a member at our church. He used to be our youth pastor. And so here I had this awesome job being able to be outside, being able to work with a guy I really respected, really looked up to. And I was really excited about going into the summer. And I remember showing up for the first day at work. I showed up to his house. And I got to meet his family, got to learn a little bit about the yards we'd be mowing, taking care of, all that. Uh, and then the best thing happened. He showed me the lawnmower. <laughs> Why did you laugh? It, <laughs> if you could see it, you'd, you'd have my same excitement. It was huge. The motor on it is like twice the size of the one on my car. It's just this massive machine. And the kind you, you, you kind of walk behind, you just barely push it, and it drives by itself. <laughs> but that's not even the best part. I saw this machine, I thought, this is cool, this is like my machine I get to use for the summer. I was super excited. But then the best part of all, he's like, oh, I didn't show you the foot attachment. Foot attachment, what, what does that mean? And, uh, well, it was, it's kind of like, uh, like a little platform that you can stand on and you hitch it to the very back of the lawnmower and, the, and it's got two wheels on it. So you're basically pushing this lawnmower that's driving itself and you're standing on this little uh, platform thing with wheels. You're basically like a Roman soldier on a chariot just flying down yards. And it was super fun. And it was great because you could kind of like peel out around corners too. You don't, you don't want to do that though because it leaves marks. Uh, but I learned that. Anyways, uh, this was one of the best summers. I had a great time hanging with Bob, got to be outside a bunch. I got to ride behind this like awesome machine. I think I probably went about 50 miles an hour in it. That's how I felt when I was riding it. Maybe. Um, but you get the idea. This was great work. But it didn't stay that way throughout the whole summer. Uh, because as the summer progressed, uh, the same excitement I had at the very beginning started to kind of dull a little bit. And I started to recognize some, you guys don't have to stare at my name, I can bleep that. I started to, <laughs> started to recognize some things about the work that I didn't enjoy as much. For example, uh, the work was long, really long hours, really tiring, hot, hot sun, uh, pretty exhausting. I'd get done, wouldn't really have much energy to do anything else the rest of the day. In addition to that, a lot of yards had big sticks and branches that we had to go pick up before we could even start mowing. Some of the yards were really bumpy, so you're kind of rattling around on this thing. Needless to say, I found some, some things about the job that I didn't enjoy anymore. So here's me, 16, 17-year-old. I used to ride this mower like a like a getaway car at a bank robbery, and now all of a sudden I'm just kind of like slumped over, yawning, bored, checking my watch, waiting for the day to be done. Why did that happen? 
why did my work go from so fun, so exhilarating, to all of a sudden, boring, tiring? I'd wake up in the morning, I wouldn't want to go. Why did that happen to me? And why has that probably happened to you? Why does our work grow tiresome? The questions around work are many. And for most of us, we will spend anywhere from the next 40 to 50 years of our lives working. So we ought to probably try to answer a few of them, don't you think? The theme for chapel, as Nina already said, is worshipful work. And today and tomorrow, I'm going to be talking to you and trying to answer three questions. The first question is, what is work? The second question is, what ruined work? And the third question is, what redeems work? So what is work? What ruined work? And what redeems work? Today, we're just going to focus on the first one because it's Monday. Don't want to throw too much at you. Uh, what is work? So let's go to the Bible where we seek all of our answers. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, Genesis 1.1. Beginning with this verse, we rightly note that all of the Bible, all of the, all of the world, all of history ultimately points to God. In the beginning, God. God is the main character, he's the main subject, he's the main idea. And if we keep reading, we learn a characteristic about this God. In the beginning, God created. This God is an active God. He's one who creates. Furthermore, this God created according to three things. He created according to beauty, order, and function. Beauty, order, and function. God created beauty with blue skies, green grass, high mountains, low valleys. He created order by first forming the world and then filling the world. He formed it by speaking the sky and the land and the sea into existence. And then he filled it by speaking birds to fly in that sky, animals to walk on the land, uh, fish to swim throughout that sea, forming and filling in order. And he also created function. He created a sun to warm us on cold days. He created a moon to give us light at night when it was dark. He gave us plants to serve as food and water to nourish us. Here is our world, our beautiful, ordered, and functional world. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. To have dominion, God giving mankind dominion. To have dominion is to have the function of control in order to maintain the order that God established for the purpose of co-creating Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Genesis 2.15. Why? Why in Eden? Why in paradise would we have to work? I mean, after all, this is paradise. Shouldn't fruits and vegetables just kind of spring up on their own? Shouldn't Adam just be able to kick back and say, apple, now, boom. 
No, he had to work. Why? I've been thinking about this, and I can think of maybe four ways uh, we can address this from a few different perspectives. Why did we have to work in the garden in perfection? Why did God make us work? One, maybe it's necessity. Maybe God needed help with the household chores. Maybe he was so tired from creating that he needed a break while Adam and Eve took over. The one who never sleeps, calls all things into being, raises, destroys nations, calls the seas to split and the skies to roar. Was he tired? Did he need help? No. Psalm 102 says it like this. Of God. Of old you founded the earth. The heavens are the work of your hands. Even they will perish, but you endure. All of them will wear out like a garment. Like clothing, you will change them and they will be changed. But you are the same and your years will never come to an end. No. God wasn't tired. He didn't need work to be done. Maybe God established work because he wanted payment. He wanted Adam and Eve to give the monthly rent for eating. Perhaps he said, Adam, Eve, be productive or get evicted. Do some work. But we don't hear any of that language. Instead, we hear the language from God that he gave and has given every plant yielding seed, every tree with seed in its fruit, every green plant for food. He is a God who has given Not one who's, who's expecting payment. So he didn't need work. He wasn't requiring payment. Maybe it's punishment. Maybe it's punishment. Was God punishing his people for a wrong done? But it's important that we realize when we learn about work, it's prior to the fall. It's prior to sin coming into the world. Therefore, for God to punish them would be unjust. And certainly God is not unjust. So this isn't punishment either. So our first three we're striking out on. Not need, not payment, not punishment. Why did God make Adam and Eve work? There's a fourth suggestion, and I think that this is the one where we should go with as the church. The fourth suggestion is this. It's an invitation. God told Adam and Eve to work because it's an invitation an invitation to participate in the joy of glorifying God. After all, why did God work? God did the work of creation, right? He didn't work because he needed to. He didn't work to pay somebody. He didn't work because he was being punished. He worked because he enjoyed glorifying himself. So as human beings created in his image, how are we to work? God, our Father, works out of the joy of showing his glory, and we, his sons and daughters, do the same. We work for the joy of revealing God's glory. Those created in his likeness do work in his likeness. Imagine this. When God says work, maybe he says it's something like this. Adam, Eve, I invite you to experience the joy of making beauty as you work the garden, align the flowers, the plants, observe the colors, smell the flowers. The garden is your canvas. Here are your paints. Make beauty. Or Adam, Eve, 
I invite you to experience joy in making the garden functional. Plant enough crops for food. Organize them. Make it easy to harvest. Plant them near water so they grow. Plant, plant trees where you want shade. Create functions. Adam, Eve, I invite you to maintain order in the garden. Have dominion over the land and its creatures. Keep the plants from overgrowing. Harvest the food when it's ripe. Maintain order. Here's the human. Called to work the land and have dominion over it. God's vice regents who make the garden beautiful, ordered, and functional for the purpose of joyfully glorifying God. This is work. So, where do you work? The answer would be wherever you're doing exactly that. Wherever you are creating beauty, order, function, for the purpose of joyfully glorifying God. I think I could argue that the majority of careers in the world possess these three first aspects, beauty, order, and function, at least to some degree. Architects. Architects create beautiful buildings that have a certain function. Beautiful buildings, a certain function, maybe they're for uh, a, a company or maybe uh, an athletic stadium, and they're produced according to a certain order. Or chefs, some of my favorite people in the world. <laughs> they, cre they create beautiful dishes of food, beautiful dishes of food with ingredients and cooking techniques applied in a certain order for the function of tasting great and giving the eater sustenance. We could go on and on. Now, I'll admit some careers will pri prioritize these things differently. For example, think of an artist. An artist majors on beauty while maybe minoring in function and order. It's still there. The paint's gotta go on in a certain order in the canvas, but the major is the beauty. Or uh, think about the uh, engineer as she works. Maybe she majors on function and order and then more minors on beauty. But either way, the three elements are still there. Here's the thing. Does that mean that every career is glorifying to God? If every career has beauty, order, and function, does that mean every career is glorifying to God? Well, it depends. The beauty, order, and function you produce at a job mean very little if done for the purpose of doing anything other than joyfully glorifying God. Whether a career is glorifying to God or not depends not on the career itself, but on the man or woman behind the career. You could be a pastor. You could be a missionary doesn't matter if you're doing it for your glory and not God's first and foremost then it will not be glorifying to him if your motives are foremost for your glory and your satisfaction then your efforts will be like an offering left on an altar that the fire burns up and nothing is left God will blow on the chaff of your efforts and send them into the wind your work is at best meaningless if not done for God's glory and at worst a stench in his nostrils if done for anything other than his glory. So, 
What's your job title? What's your job function? Are you a student, a teacher, stay-at-home parent, a plumber, financial planner? It doesn't really matter that much what your job is. I'm more concerned about what is your job within your job. What is your job within your job? And I can answer that question for all of us. Your job within your job is this. Your job within your job is to do your job for the purpose of joyfully glorifying God. Amen? That is the purpose of your work. And as a Christian, only you are capable of doing exactly that. So I don't, I don't care that much about what type of job you have. I care about much about what you do at your job within your job. Paul, perhaps the greatest Christian ever lived, wrote many books in the New Testament. He was a tent maker. Did he write down all Christians should be tent makers? No. No, Paul actually is a little bit more broad in what he says. He says this, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the God the Father through him. In other words, whatever beauty you create, order you maintain, or function that you design, do all for the sake of glorifying God. So my question to you today, whether you're a student, staff, uh, faculty, whatever, what beauty do, do you create? What order do you maintain? What function do you design? Think about these questions, these important questions, but then ask yourself a more important question. Ask yourself this question. Why? Why? My prayer today and I need this just as much as anyone else, if not more. My prayer today is that we would be so conformed to Jesus that we would do all for the sake of joyfully glorifying God and therefore be joyful at our work itself. That's my prayer. Now, unfortunately, this is not the final word on work. Tomorrow, as we continue on in our examination of work, we have answered question one. But we still have two questions left. We still have to answer the question of what ruined work and what redeemed work. I want to leave you just with a quick story about a person who I think did the best work I've ever seen. I was a fifth grade teacher at a, a school called Holt Academy. And uh, there was a woman there who worked in, in the janitorial staff. I'll just say her name is Mary. And one day I got to school really early, and Mary was cleaning up in the hallway, and I thought she was talking to herself. And so I was like, oh, no, <laughs> I better go check this out. So I went over, and I said, hey, Mary, how's it going? She said, oh. She was kind of surprised to see me. Uh, I said, what, what are you doing? She's like, oh, same thing I do every morning. And I was like, okay, <laughs> what is that? She's like, well, when I'm cleaning the floors and I'm picking up all the things from this floor that the students left, I'm thinking about my students and I'm praying to them. I'm praying that today would be a day that they come in from maybe a dangerous world, from maybe a difficult background, and they enjoy being safe for a while. 
But more importantly than that, I'm praying that they would come to know Jesus this day. I'm praying that they would see Jesus in the word that you guys open in your classrooms. Praying for you as teachers that you'd have energy to do what you do and do it well. I'm praying all the time as I'm cleaning. I've met a lot of pastors, a lot of missionaries, a lot of this, that. To this day, if I had to stake my claim on anyone, I would stake it on Mary. And I'd say that Mary is the best worker I have ever seen. And she does it all for the glory of God. May we be like Mary. Let's close in prayer together. Father, thank you so much for this time. Thank you for helping us to learn about work. And as we jump into uh, work ruined tomorrow and work redeemed tomorrow, I pray that you continue to show us and apply this to our own lives and to the lives of others. We pray more than anything that you conform our hearts to want and to desire your glory above our own. This requires a supernatural working of your spirit. And we ask that your spirit would fall on all of us today. We pray this in your holy name. Amen.